didn't record. <laughs> We've been in this series, as you know, and I pray it's been a blessing so far to you. Um, I've entitled it Transformed, and I pick, I pick my slides deliberately. I pick the backgrounds. I toil over this stuff like you, you wouldn't even believe. But uh, Transformed, and, and if you get the picture, you know, a rocky, wavy, crazy sea uh, transformed into a nice, calm, glassy sea. And that's the, uh, that's the idea. How can we be uh, transformed? How are we transformed in Christ? And we've looked a little bit at Romans chapter 12 last week. And uh, I remember um, last week explaining a little bit about that, and then we jumped over, or two weeks ago, and then we jumped into Philippians, and then I found that uh, Pastor Dan Eddings also preached in Philippians, which was, was nice to hear and have, have his interpretation of some of that. And, and I listened to that message again, and um, um, listen, I'll just say it old country-like. My man can preach, all right? My man can preach. Um, and he did a wonderful job, uh, as I expected. And he enjoyed being uh, just pulpit supply, he told me. Uh, he doesn't like to be referred to or called out as anything other than that while he's here and in, in, in filling in. So it's all good. Uh, so how are we transformed, right? We talk about transformation. There's a lot. Of, it's all throughout the scriptures and all throughout the book of Romans, really, right? Uh, is is uh, We were this and now we're this. Uh, I was this, now I'm this. And it's all through the book of Romans, but really all through the scriptures. Um, this transformation that take pl- takes place. And that's, you have that opportunity to be transformed. And, and the scripture tells us that. So you might just get your Bibles ready or your app ready um, and turn to the book of Romans. Uh, chapter 12 we will be there eventually. Um, but a few things I wanted to share with you this morning and a few illustrations. You know, I saw this... Uh, I saw this video, and I'm not going to share it with you because it was a little disturbing, which is odd for me because I don't mind disturbing you once in a while. But I saw this video this week about how they catch monkeys in Africa, right? So how do they catch monkeys? I'm not going to ask why they catch them, but I was interested to see how they catch them. And I wasn't quite sure if it was true what I had heard, so I found a video, right? How many people? I'm not sure. They look it up. There's the video. Uh, that's the first thing we go to. Is that really true? Well, there it is. So they, they catch monkeys in Africa. There's a few different methods, but by and large, they cut a small hole, small, in a tree, or I saw one that was, it looked like a big anthill or something, I don't know. But they caught, cut a small hole in, in a structure, in a tree, in a coconut, in an anthill. And so the, they, they throw a banana or a small piece of fruit in that little hole. They just toss it in there. A couple pieces. And the monkey can get its hand in that tree or that hole. And it can grab that banana or fruit. Because they, they can't resist. You know the monkey's just. I saw him looking. He's like oh. He knows it's in there. And he just can't. He can't resist. So he goes in there. And he gets the piece of fruit. And he grabs it. He can slip his fingers in his hand. Fingers. Do monkeys have fingers? They have opposable thumbs right? Like raccoons. So they, they get their fingers in there, and they reach, and they grab it. So no longer is it a slim hand that's reached in. It's now a fist. And they can't pull that fist back out of that small hole. I know, but don't send me emails. I get it. This is in Africa, not here. They do what they got to do over there. But they get that little piece of fruit, and then they can't get the relaxed hand, no problem, in the tree hole. But they can't get that fist back out of there because now it doesn't fit. And they, I mean, it's an easy solution, monkey. Drop the banana 
and you're free. But he's freaking out. He can't get out of this hole because he won't let go of that fruit. And then the, 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 the guy that's trying to capture him, maybe he's a hunter, I don't know what they call him, but he comes up just kind of nonchalant. The monkey's freaking out, puts a net over him, cinches him up, takes him home. And they do what they do. But he won't let go. He will not let go. So you got a monkey that's trapped because of his own, his, the, feel, the feeling that, that, that it's his own greed. i got to have this thing. And that little illustration, I thought about it this week. And I thought that, you know what? There are some people that I would call, not you guys, but other people that you might know. Not you. Not you. People you may know. I would never say this about you. Never. But some people are Christian monkeys. Believers in Christ who act like these little monkeys, grabbing hold of some prize in life. Right? Grabbing hold of something. And life has become nothing more than what they get rather than who they are and what they give away. And so oftentimes we need to be surrendering and we're often grabbing or seizing. And we won't let go. And if you live life that way, you're going to be like that monkey. You'll be trapped. And Jesus says, you know what? If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will find it. Now that's a setup for you all in transition to Romans 12. Now for 11 chapters, and if, if you haven't, we started Wednesday nights again, right, in the, in the sanctuary, and we're going through Paul's letters, and uh, we've, we've, we're starting in Romans, and uh, if you're not really here on Wednesday nights, you're really, you're really missing it because we're digging deep, and we're digging in deep and hard into the book of Romans but for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been giving us a litany of the blessings of God, what he calls the mercies of God. And he's telling us all that God has done for us in the first 11 chapters. Uh, he's forgiven us. He's declared us righteous, right? You look through Romans. He's made us his children, if you can believe that. He's given us promises like all things work together for good to those that love God or are called according to his purpose, right? He's given us those promises. And he's given us so much more. He's reminded us that he who did not spare his son but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All of these promises that God has given us in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So that's what God has done. So now we get to Romans 12 and there's clearly a shift in Paul's deliverance. There's clearly a shift in what he's trying to convey to us. And basically he's saying this to us. You're up. It's your turn. Now you're up. This is everything that God's done for 11 chapters of deep, deep, promises and and what Paul says the mercies of God now we get to chapter 12 and he says you're up now it's your turn and for the next five chapters the apostle Paul pivots and tells us what our response should be to those first 11 chapters so the next five chapters is about our response how we're supposed to respond and give to God how we're how we're supposed to to we're up we're up. He sets it up in the first two verses. If you have your Bible, uh, I like to look at this in the New King James Version. Um, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Let's get familiar with it. I love this word. Um, 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of... This sounds churchy this morning. Can I get an amen? Thank you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. <laughs> How many have the Bible app? Anybody have the Bible app? You've been listening to the Romans on the Bible app? I don't know what voice you guys have, but mine kind of sounds like that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, right? We talked about the first 11 chapters, the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your responsible service. Hmm. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that's what we're called to do. That's our response. And without doing what we just read, without doing this, we're going to be like these Christian monkeys. We're going to hold on to the allurements of our life and it's all about what we get rather than what we surrender. I was reading recently, and this is another illustration that I was... <laughs> I, I was reading about a sport that used to happen in America here. And again, do not, please do not send me emails. Uh, dog racing. How many remember dog racing? Greyhounds, right? They used to have greyhound dogs, and uh, they take these highly trained, swift, streamlined animals, the greyhound, and they put it on a track. Now, it's been banned in just about every state. I think there's five left that still allow this, I think. Um, but they, pay, they take these animals, and if you remember, and some of you have seen this on, on videos or on, on TV and, and Remy reenacted in your favorite Looney Tunes cartoon, but they take the greyhound dog and they put it on a track. And, and that they race around, right? So they take them, and there's, a, there's this mechanical lure, right? There's a mechanical something, probably a, a rabbit, right? And it's on a fixed track, either on the inside or the outside of this track. And it goes around and around, and these greyhounds just chase it. And they sit, you know, they're in their kennels, and, or their, their, their lanes, and then those gates open up, and that rabbit, boom, shoots out and goes around the track, and those greyhounds can't help it, and they chase that rabbit around. And I read one time that, while well, it was still legal in, in the state of Florida, that these greyhounds were in, their, in their, their starting gates ready to go. And these guys, these dogs are, are ready to go. I mean, they are amped up, hyped up, ready to roll as soon as that thing opens up. And the gates open up. And the rabbit takes off. And if you've ever seen, anybody ever seen, am I talking to anybody this morning? Anybody ever seen that? Yeah. So the, the rabbit, I mean, it, it's gone. And those greyhounds with everything that they have. Well, the one time the rabbit takes off on this track and, the, and the, everything's going fine. The, the greyhounds are coming around the first turn and then there's a mechanical failure. And the rabbit stops and explodes. I mean, these dogs are all in. They're chasing this rabbit. And this rabbit's going around and it stops and boom! We're talking like... Wires and smoke and a little bit of fur. That just went up into flames, thin air. And the dogs, the dogs were like so confused. What just happened? I saw a more modern version of a confused dog video. You ever see those? You ever see people do the blanket dog trick? Give me a, come on, give me a little feedback this morning. What they do, 
what they do is, and I imagine this is the same look that these dogs had. What they do is they take their dog and they're talking to their dog and they have a blanket in front of them, the owner. And they're saying, hey, Rover, woo! And the dog's sitting there looking and, the, and they pull the blanket up and they scoop back behind the hallway. They go, whoo! And they go like this. And the blanket drops and there's no one there and the dog's like, you know dogs. You know dogs are expression-filled animals, right? And I, I think I know why, because they have eyebrows. They look at you like... And the dogs, the person's gone, and the dog's looking like, what just happened? And I think that's kind of like what happened. They, they must have looked like this on that track. They're flying along on that rabbit, and then, boom! And they're like... Some of the dogs, they just laid down on the track. They had no idea what to do. Some of them barked at the crowd. Just They were kind of just getting very confused. and like, what just happened? We were following this thing with all of our might. Oh, everything that was in us, we followed this little rabbit, and now it's gone, and they don't know what to do. And I think life can be a little bit like that. I think a lot of people live their lives exactly like that, consumed with their chosen rabbit. Might be a career, it could be an education, it could be a relationship, it could be it could be a number of things, good things, good goals that give people purpose and meaning and and, and motivate them. The problem is that when that thing is taken away. They lose all hope. They get extremely bewildered and confused because they had all their hope wrapped up in that relationship, that career, that child, that this, that something. And then, you know, then it's gone. And and hear me this morning, church. We all need goals. We all need, the Christian needs goals. The, The Christian needs purpose. The Christian needs a motive for living. And so Paul gives us one right here. And if I were to sum it up this way, I might say it like this. Paul is saying this. Because he, Jesus, died for you, here's your goal. You should live for him. Now, he's done more than die for you. He's done a whole lot more than just die for you. But because he gave his life for you in death, so give him your life for him in this life. Live for him is what I'm saying. It's your turn. You're up. Paul says, now, it's your turn. It's your move. It's time for your response. And so we look at these first two verses. We'll start out with this week. We'll see how far we get. And and that's the thing. If you miss a week in a series, you miss a lot. So if you're here this morning, welcome back next week. Welcome to join us online. Don't miss a week of this or you miss a lot. Romans is deep. It's, it's, It's very impactful for the Christian. And if you miss a week, you'll miss a lot. And I really believe that a series like this through the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing what I'm saying, but through God's Word and His power through the Holy Spirit can change your life. And let's just separate a few things and drill down and unpack some truths. Because I want to show you that our response to God comes in a couple different stages. The first stage is the presentation of our bodies. The next stage will be the transformation of our minds. And then finally, the apprehension of His will. So the first one, and we're talking about how we experience transformation, right? Well, where Paul begins in verse 1 of chapter 12, if you'll follow along, by the presentation of our bodies, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, and we don't talk like that today, I know we don't, unless you do go to the restaurant and say, I beseech you, waitress, to bring me one other cup of coffee. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. But could I translate it for a moment for you? I beseech you. I'm, I'm, Paul would say, I would encourage you. Uh, I'm coming alongside you to encourage you in this. 
to present yourselves. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So let's, let's also look at the audience that Paul is speaking to here. What does it say? I beseech you, therefore, who? Brethren, right. This is, a, this is not a monologue, right? It's a dialogue, right? We need to move around a little bit. We need to talk to each other. So when I say right, you say yes. When I say hey man, you say amen. <laughs> I'm not afraid to ask for an amen or two just to keep you all awake. Thank you. He's writing to the brethren. In other words, this chapter is addressed um, to Christians, to the brethren, our spiritual family. And if you've noticed, if you've been reading along in the book of Romans because you were here on Wednesday night, Paul, all throughout the book of Romans, makes a distinction among a couple different groups, a few different groups. He talks about the Gentiles, right? He talks about the Jews, and he also talks about the church. And in the first few chapters, he talks about the entire world. In other words, all of us. Religious, non-religious. He says we're all under the wrath of God. And then he talks about the grace of God, etc. in the first chapters. And then in 9, 10, and 11, he has like a, a, a focus in on one group in particular. Uh, chapters 9 through 11, the Jewish nation. Past, present, and future of the Jewish nation. And now, in chapter 12, he makes this ch- shift. And he's talking to believers. Those who are Christians. And we need to pay special attention when we see this word, brethren. Uh, and I'm belaboring this point because I want to make sure that, that we know that Paul is talking to believers. Before he lays out our turn and our role and our response to the mercies of God, Paul says, now this is for you, believers, Christians. I think sometimes we as Christians, and if you'd be honest with yourself, we try to impose our values on an unbelieving world, right? Well, I can't believe they would do that, right? We try to impose the Christian's values on an unbelieving world. We want a Christian culture and a Christian society. Folks, that's called heaven, and you won't get it here. It's not going to happen here. Don't expect unbelievers to act like believers. I usually say it this way. Don't expect sinners to act like saints, all right? If you want Christian culture to have a whole culture filled with just Christians all over the place, you'll get your reward. You'll see that in heaven. And trust me, even if you have a a, a community like this or any other community of believers and you think it's a by and large a Christian gathering, uh, that's not even perfect. (laughs) If you haven't looked down the aisles, don't point. Do not point. That's not nice. But that's true. Even in a gathering like this, it's not a perfect perfect Christian gathering, right? But if you want to see a Christian culture, then you need to just buck up and be an evangelist. Like, I mean, in your personal life, Paul says, it's your turn. Win them to Christ. Surround yourself with people and then tell them about Jesus. Show them Jesus. And then win them to Christ that they might also believe. And then you start to build a Christian culture around you. But when it comes to imposing our belief system and value system, we need to evangelize the world and get tell them and show them. But I do not expect the secular culture to adopt the Christian lifestyle. I don't expect sinners, in fact, to do much more than sin. I don't expect my expectation of the sinner. I expect sinners to sin. Newsflash. And they're really good at it. 
But I expect Christians to surrender. And that's who he's writing to here, the brethren. He's going to say to believers, I want you to present your body. This is for us, believers. And, and that's based on an awareness. So we go from the audience now to the awareness. Let's say we have the audience, the brethren, right? Paul's making his appeal. He's basing it on their awareness of certain truths that he already covered in the 11 chapters before. He says this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, and by the mercies of God. Okay, so he'll keep saying, he keeps saying that all that, remember all I have told you, remember all I have told you. In the first 11 chapters. And then once I get to this place, Paul says, one translation says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God. Now what are these mercies of God? What what is the mercy of God? That's churchy. Pastor, you're being a little churchy this morning. Well, welcome to church. Let me give you a few of the mercies of God. First of all, Paul says that we are all condemned under sin. All under God's wrath, but we can be made righteous by Jesus Christ. Chapters 1, and two, one 2, and 3, really, of Romans. He says you are justified freely by faith. Just believing in Jesus Christ is enough to make you justified, Paul says. He says you can be justified before God in the same way that Abraham was. That's what Paul says. And God accounted it to him for righteousness, Romans chapter 4. And then he goes on to say, we have access to God any time, day or night. We have the hope of heaven. Between now and heaven, we have this thing called life. And even in the worst part of life, in the trials of life, in in the hardest moments, God promises to shape us through these trials, the mercies of God. That was chapter 5. And in 6, 7, and 8, Paul says, we are slaves who have been freed. Nothing. We are slaves. If you're a believer, if you're brethren this morning, you are a slave that has been set free. We are freed from the law, freed from sin, and adopted into his family. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And then chapters 9 through 11, Paul says, look at all the promises God made to the Jewish nation of which he will keep every single one. So it's that, that, that composite mercies of God through the first 11. And then he says, I beg you, I beseech you, I encourage you, therefore, brethren, by all of the mercies that you live in this way. Because of all that is God that God has done for you, the mercies of God. Live like this, Paul says. Live as though you've been justified. Live as though you've been forgiven. Live as though you are bound for heaven. In chapter 12, he says, you know what? This is kind of the graduation chapter. Now it's your turn. You're up. That's why the word therefore is, is there in chapter, in, in verse 2. There, it's there for a reason. It's in transition. Here's what you should know. This is the basis of this foundation, Paul says. I beseech you therefore, because of all the things you've heard. It's transition. And he puts this up here in in verse 12, giving us the foundation of the first 11 chapters. And he puts the the cap and gown on us and says, okay, now it's time for you to go get a life. It's time for you to go into life. It's time you're up. You're up. It's up to you now. In response to all that stuff, do this. Think of the mercies of God. The mercies of God. I think of God's prevenient grace, the grace that goes before in our lives that we didn't even know was there 
How many, how many are thankful for situations and, and things that could have happened to you that didn't, that you don't even know about? You might not know this side of heaven. You get to heaven and God will say, remember that? Yeah, that was me. It goes like this in my own life. You know, I was a 24-year-old kid. And sorry, when you're 24, you're still a kid. And the, and the folks my age said, right. <laughs> my age. 24-year-old kid, heavy metal, long hair. If you'd have seen some of you have seen some pictures, it's some pretty funny stuff. And so are your young childhood pictures. Judge me. But, you know, I was there and I was playing the heavy metal guitar and I was hanging out with some of the wrong people and doing some of the wrong things. And, and what does the mercies of God look like in my life that at 24 years of age, I, I, through a series of circumstances, I wandered into a church called Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was a lively bunch. And I was a lively person. So I needed the lively bunch. And I wandered into this church, the mercies of God. I wandered into this church when I'm 24 years of age. And God reached down from heaven and saved my soul on a Sunday morning in church. How many are thankful for Sunday morning church? That's God's mercy. That's a mercy of God. That's God's mercy to me. I was radically changed. Began reading all I could. Taking in all the information I could like a sponge. And by God's great mercy, He surrounded me with a few good mentors. And gave me a foundation in the Word of God. That's God's mercy. And then in in and around 1995, God provided me an incredible, Christ-centered, God-centered woman who happened to live five hours away from where I lived in western Pennsylvania. And she attended a church, and her family attended a small church called the Church of the Nazarene. These are God's mercies. You can, you can, this is the first 11 chapters of your life. And a few years later, I answered the call to preach, and he provided a way for me to get an education and be ordained. We celebrate Bob's journey this morning, and and God's mercies have provided you that opportunity. And as you know, in October 2018, I was officially installed as your pastor here at GSN. And I say all that to say this. All of these things for me are the mercies of God in my life. The first 11 chapters, if you will. God is merciful to me, and He is to you. You're only here this morning by the mercy and the grace of God. God's provided a way. None of you were here by accident this morning. You may have come to see a family member or two or five, but that's not why you're here. God, you're not here by accident or by chance. The mercies of God have brought you to a place. And when I look at these things, I take inventory personally. And here's and that's what you do. You look upon your life and you realize the mercies of God. Y'all know the difference between grace and mercy? This is yes. This is no. This is I'm not sure. Shoot me an emoji of something. <laughs> put it in the chat. That's funny online. Just put it in the chat. Grace is what? God's unmerited favor. That is a churchy definition of God's unmerited favor. It's, it's giving you what you don't deserve. Mercy 
is not giving you what you do deserve. So God's mercy has brought you this far in your life. And I don't care if you're 12 or 112 here this morning. God's mercy has brought you to this place on your journey. And it's not over till you get to heaven. Here's the bottom line. Here's the conclusion. How can I not serve a God who's done that for me? How could I not? How could I turn my back? How could I turn away and say, ah, thanks, thanks anyway, God, appreciate that, and walk out of here? God's mercies. And God said, Romans says this, by the mercies of God, given all of that, now it's your turn. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Before we even get into the living sacrifice part, he says present your bodies, right? Okay, God, here I am. Here I am. Here I am, God. I'm presenting myself. That's what he's saying. Present yourself to God. Here's my life, God. I'm presenting it to you in light of all that you've brought me through and all that you've provided and all the mercies. And God says, you know what? Present your, Paul says, present yourselves to God. Present yourself. Present your body. Say, you know what, God? Here I am. And notice the word present. It's a technical word. It's a word actually for the priesthood. It's a priestly word. It's a Levitical word. And one of my favorite jokes, and I can't go on without telling it this morning or it will knock me down. One of my favorite jokes that I used to use a lot of is that, you know, in the Old Testament, in order to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. Okay? You had to be one of the tribes of the Levites. And so you had to have Levi genes to be a priest. Someone said, oh, wow, wow. But this word present is a priestly word. It's a used, it was used of a priest in the Old Testament who would present an animal to the, on, to the altar to be sacrificed. We need to present an animal. So you take the animal, right, in the old sacrificial way of the Old Testament, take the animal, lay, on, lay hands on it, bring the animal to its death, and the animal would be consumed on the altar. It's a very apt word because you know that Peter says that we are the royal priesthood of God. We are a royal priesthood as believers, as brethren. First Peter chapter 2, we are a royal priesthood or a holy priesthood. So the idea of all of this is this. As one of God's royal priesthood, the priest in the new covenant, I give him my life. I present him my life. I am worshiping with my life. So worship is an experience that should take place every single day as I present my body, me, here I am God, for him to use. And the word living sacrifice, it's funny because the word, when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, this is this is a shift from Old Testament teaching. This is a radical departure departing of Old Testament language because it gets different because anyone who knows anything about Jewish sacrifice back in the Old Testament, uh, the Jews would sacrifice the animals. And when they brought the sacrifice and they were actually bringing it, and by the time they sacrifice it on an altar, here's a real quick quick Bible quiz for you. When they presented the animal on the altar, they lay it there, was the animal alive or dead? And then when they finally got there and they did the and they put it on the altar the animal was dead. Paul says 
I mean, literally, the animals were, were you know, the, the priest would kill the animal. Sorry if you've eaten breakfast recently. But they would kill the animal, they would drain the blood, they would place the carcass on the altar, and the fire on the altar would totally consume the burnt offering, right? But he says, you know what, this is the New Testament. Paul says, it's not a dead sacrifice anymore, your body is a living sacrifice. Total shift. In other words, it's a lifestyle, a living sacrifice. It's your, present your bodies, here I am, I am alive, right? If, some of you, if you, how many have a pulse this morning? Not too many. But you pre- present your life as a living sacrifice. No longer a dead sacrifice. Living sacrifices. So walk with me back to the Old Testament time when they would present the sacrifice. Now imagine if they didn't kill that sacrifice first. Living sacrifices have a tendency to squirm off of the altar. Right? You bring a living sacrifice and you stick it on the altar. Is it going to stay on the altar? Would you? If it's dead, no problem. It's not going to move, but it's a living sacrifice. If it's living, that could be problematic. Because it goes something like this. God, I give my life to you. Now, you're a living sacrifice, right? You're presenting your body as a living sacrifice. I give my life to you, Lord. I give. You might have come forward at an altar, you know, when you were younger or some other time in your life, a camp meeting, and you came and you said, God, I present you my body as a living sacrifice. God, yes, yes, Lord. You might have sang the song. Remember, yes, Lord, yes. I surrender all. You might have sung, uh, what was the Billy Graham one? Help me out. Just as I am, right? Oh, my goodness, here they come. And uh, would you come? Here they come out of the stadium. They're coming. Would you come with them? Come on, right? Look, several have come. Won't you come? And it's playing, and and, and, and uh, who's the guy that played it? George Beverly Shea. Would, Shea. What do you call him? Bev. Bev would be a just as. And you come down, right? And you got, yes, God, yes. You come down, and it's a living sacrifice. God, yes, I will serve you. And you leave that rally. You leave that church service. You leave that that that, that camp meeting or whatever it is. And you, and you say, yeah, but this old life is still here. Ah, man, and you're wiggling off the altar. You were a living sacrifice. God didn't kill you. He said, hey, all right, living sacrifice. Yes, Lord, yes, to your will. And you did the whole thing. And then you walked out. And you came back down off that altar. You wiggled right off of there. Oh, wait a minute. Then you came back the next week to church. And you said, oh, yes, I'm back. And how many have rode the altar to heaven, right? Some people would come and come and come. Rededicating my lives again and again and again. You've seen that tendency, but we have a tendency as living sacrifices to squirm off of the altar. So what does it mean to present your body as a living sacrifice? In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells you why your body is so important. He says your body is a Holy Spirit dwelling place. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember, the temple isn't just a place where sacrifices were made. It was the community center for everyone, the temple. It was the base of operations for the community in Jerusalem, the temple. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that 
Your body is God's temple. It's become the base of operations for God to do His work, His will around you. And Scripture is filled with examples of people who presented their bodies to God. And and God moves powerfully through them. I think in the example of Sarah in the Old Testament. Remember Sarah's womb was barren. Sarah's, Sarah's, her body, herself, was, was a sacrificial uh, dedication, was, was sacrificially dedicated. Her and Abraham said, we are yours. And, and it was dedicated to God. And Abraham and Sarah were barren. She was barren for so many years. And then God filled her womb with Isaac. I think of Moses. Moses was called to be a spokesman. Moses said, ha, you got the wrong guy. I, I, can't, even sp- I, 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 can't, I can't even speak. In fact, in fact I stutter. God, you, you got the wrong God. God says, you know what? You're just the one, Moses. Present your body to me, Moses, and watch what I'll do with it. And he did. He not only became a spokesman to Pharaoh, remember? He became a spokesman to the children of Israel and giving the law of God. Think of David, the hands of a simple shepherd boy who was used, used to chasing lambs around the desert. But when his body was presented to God, those hands hold a sling and a stone, and they brought a giant down named Goliath. Think of Paul's feet spreading the gospel around the world because he presented his body as a living sacrifice. He presented his body to God and said, God, you have me. So your body can be a base of operations for God to work through. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He wants to touch the world through you. Now remember, before this, your body, believe it or not, before Christ, your body is kind of a base of operations for the enemy. Well, I don't like to think about that, preacher. Well, I'm glad you don't like to think about that, but that's the truth. Your body was in full use. It was in one time surrendered to the enemy, one time surrendered to the devil to basically do his work. And although you didn't see it as his work, right? You saw it as chasing that rabbit. You saw it as grabbing that piece of fruit. That's all I'm doing. I'm just, I'm pursuing other things. I'll get to the church thing when I get to it, Pastor. I mean, I know you're the preacher, and there's some people at the church that that's what they do. They're the church people. You see them at weddings and things. They have the table. There's the church people. You see them. Nothing. All right. But you see them, right? And, and you say, well, that's not for me, Pastor, right now. I'm, I have this career. I have this college. I have this, I have this baby. I have this, I have a, Pastor, I can't focus on that stuff right now. You don't see it as, as the enemy's work. But if you're not serving him, if you're not serving the Lord, you're chasing that rabbit around. You're grabbing that piece of fruit. It's about getting this. It's about being cool. It's about being, this is fun. I'm having my fun now. But, you know, at one time, your body is, is, is actually the base of operations for the enemy to work. I know you don't like to think about it like that, but that's true. I want you to see the difference. And as we wrap it up this morning, uh, keep your finger right there or your, your app open right there in Romans chapter 12. But back in Romans chapter 3, just a few chapters before, uh, I'll prove this to you. Romans chapter 3, this is what it says. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is, huh, there is none who does good. And Paul likes to repeat himself when he wants to emphasize things. He does it in a good way. Sometimes he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. 
But Paul actually says this, there is none who does good. No, not one. And what he does with these parts of the body, presenting your body, there is not one who does good. In fact, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, human depravity... We call that depravity. Human depravity is expressed by Paul through the human bodies. In the same way that you have allowed your body, your temple, to be used for evil, let it now be used for good, God's best good. Present your body, he says, as a living sacrifice. And just as human depravity is revealed through the body, human spirituality is to be revealed through the body. Feet that walk in God's paths. Lips that speak God's truths. Hands that reach out to help in Jesus' name. Ears that listen to breaking hearts with the heart of Christ. Mouths that speak and spread his gospel around the world just as Jesus took on a body to accomplish God's work. Put it together. Jesus took on a body to accomplish God's work, God uses ourselves, our bodies, to accomplish His work. Sometimes I get this thought. I get this thought that God, who without us, could get the job of evangelism done. God uses us, but He could get the job done without us. He could. So before you think you're all high and mighty, he could really do it without you. He could use angels, and they would do a much better job, probably. I mean, if you could hang an 8 trillion watt speaker system from the moon and broadcast to the earth via an angel, I think that would get some people's attention. But God has chosen to use human bodies to spread his message and to do his work. The foolish things of the world, Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So think how exciting your life could be tomorrow if you wake up for this, with this thought. God, you can use me today. God, you can use my whole being today. God, you can use my body today. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. I'll surrender it. I will present my body to you, God. Today and every day. To wake up with that thought, Paul says that when you do that, it's just your reasonable service. It's just the logical thing to do. The holy and acceptable, reasonable service. The word is re reasonable. It's actually the word logikos, or logikos, where we get the word logical from. Reasonable, rational, logical. Some translations translate it spiritual. I like the new international version of that. Is actually, it says, which is your spiritual act of worship. I like that. 
It's a fair translation of that. I like the idea that says true worship isn't just singing songs and going through rituals. It's living an obedient life by presenting your body to God, saying, God, I'm yours. How many are using their body for the glory of God and the things of God because of all of His mercies that have led you to this point? You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But God has brought you to this point. How many are using their body to accomplish and to do the will of God? It's the least you can do. It's, it's logical. It makes sense, the Bible says. It's living an obedient life by presenting your body to God. And I do like the translation that's logical or reasonable. I'll put it all together for you right now. I'll put a little bow on it and you guys can go home with this. Because God has been so good and so merciful, so abundant in his provision, the smartest thing, the most logical thing, the most rational thing, the most reasonable thing, and hence the most spiritual thing that I could do is say, here God, here I am. Here I am. Here's everything about me, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. God, here, here I am. Here is my body. I'm presenting myself to you, Lord. Use it. Because it makes the most sense. Based on His mercies, I should do that. Because it's the rational, reasonable response to all that God has brought you through in your life. Your response is, God, here am I. Use me. Would you stand? In response to what you had just heard, what we like to do around here is provide you an opportunity for reflection. And say, you know what? What what has the Holy Spirit said to me this morning? How has this word translated from this platform through this microphone and these speakers, how has the Holy Spirit translated that to you this morning? What is God saying to you? That none of you is here by accident? That through the mercies of God and all the stuff you've been through in your life, that you've ended up here this morning, right now. Not generally here, but I mean here right now where you stand. Like here, this morning. Through all the mercies, through all of the stuff that he's brought you through, provided, blessed, I get it. Maybe you've never even known him, but I'll tell you what, you're only here because of his mercy. You're only here because of his mercy and grace. It's not by chance. It's not by celebration. It's not by any other reason. God has something for you this morning. He has an opportunity for you this morning to present yourselves to Him. And I know the churchy stuff and the living sacrifice may not be something that you're used to hearing, and I get that. But through this word, I hope you understand this morning now that you have an opportunity to to make it right with God because that's your reasonable response for everything that He's brought you through in your life. That's your reasonable response. So you say, God, here am I. Here I am. So this time of reflection, what we like to do here is if you would just bow your head and close your eyes and and sort of get in a, get in a, a prayer time, a prayer posture to say, God, what are you saying to me? 
And so you're not distracted by anyone to your left or your right. We just say, you know what, God? I'm going to focus on what you have for me and nothing else. Not who's here, who's not here, who's standing beside. None of that. First and foremost, God, I am, I am responding to the message that I've heard this morning. And as we stand together in the presence of God, in response to what we've heard, maybe you're here in person, maybe you're joining us online, however you're hearing this, it doesn't matter. God is using this moment to bring you in front of Himself. Not the people around you, not everyone across from you, no, between you and Him. You stand before God right now, in His presence in this place right now, and He is calling you to a life transformed he is calling you and the only reason I know that you're feeling what you're feeling or you're thinking what you're thinking is because I stood where you stand right now this morning and I had to come to a decision in my life realizing that God had provided and all of his mercies all the way up to a certain point in my life where I had to stand before God and I had heard enough that day that if I was called before God in the very presence in, of, before Him in heaven, I would have had to give, give an account of my life. And did my life look like I lived for Him? Or did my life look like I lived for me? And so I would ask you now, before we leave here, if there's ever been a time in your life, it's now. To respond to the call of God when God says, you know what? I'm calling you to present yourself to me. It's enough playing around with this thing. It's enough playing around with Christianity and listening to the certain things and going through the motions and maybe attending church or, or not or whatever. And it's all come to this moment where God is saying, will you present yourself a living sacrifice to me? Will you live for me? And I stood where you stand and I had to come to a decision one Sunday morning just like this. Maybe you've never heard it like this before. Maybe it's been foreign to you. I don't really know or I don't care. God is meeting you where you are this morning. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, we will go before the Lord. But I want you to contemplate what God is saying to you this morning. How is God revealing himself in this place right where you stand? God, before your ever before we ever started this service God in each individual person's life God you are already at work so you brought us to this place this morning this physical location even right now Lord in present time today God you've brought us here to hear this word this morning to hear, God, how we can be transformed and present ourselves before you and say, God, use me. Speak to me this morning. And God, I realize, Lord, in a, in a crowd such as this, that there are several people here that are, that are at different places in their journey. I get that. Lord, we, we would surrender that to you. We would say, God, yes. Some people are on different pathways or different, different moments along their journey. 
But God, I also realize this morning that some in here may need to begin at the beginning. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, not because we want to single anybody out, but we want to give you the opportunity to begin a a life of service to God, presenting yourself from this moment on as a living sacrifice, living for God. It's enough playing around. You're ready to make a decision for Him. We don't embarrass anybody or single you out, but we do want to lift you in prayer. And I would say to you that based on what you've heard this morning, you're you're there wrestling and you're making a decision and you're saying, God, I hadn't heard it this way before because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and He's saying, yes, it's you. (laughs) It's you. You're the reason. You're, You're why we gathered this morning. And as we are bowed before the Father this morning in in all unity and agreement, I would offer this. That if you, for the first time in your life, have decided, I need to make my life a living sacrifice to God. I I need to surrender it to Him. You're not here by accident. God's speaking to you and you know that He is. And I know because I stand where you stood. I stood where you stand. And if you say, Pastor, that's me, I want to pray for you this morning. I don't want you to leave here the same as you came in. If God's speaking to you, don't leave here without settling it. If He's speaking to you, this is your opportunity. You may not get another one. So, nobody looking around, it's a private, sacred moment. You say to me, Pastor, that's me. That's me this morning. I I know that I know, as the song says. I know that I know that God is speaking to me and He wants me to surrender my life to Him. Whatever that looks like, we'll figure it out. And we can figure it out together. This church does a great job with that. You won't be on an island. If you surrender your life to Christ this morning, you will not be on an island. But if you say, Pastor, that's me, I need to surrender. This is a very real, very sacred, very private moment between you and the Lord. Take this opportunity. I will pray for you. I won't call you by name, but I will pray for you. You say to me, Pastor, that is me. Just slip your hand up where you stand. Amen. Just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me this morning. How come you're speaking right to me? (laughs) Say, Pastor, that's me. I surrender this morning. I surrender. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else, as I look from my right to my left, anybody else that would say, Pastor, that's me. Living sacrifice. That's my life. From this moment on, I'm a changed person. People are being changed and set free this morning, church. One more time, if I missed you, anybody in the back, anybody anywhere, say, Pastor, I surrender. That's it for me. I need to live for Him. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to live for Him. Just just stick your hand up and say, that's me. Please, please pray for me. Amen. Father, you've seen the hands that were raised this morning. And God, I pray that you would meet those individuals right where they are this morning. And that God, your saints would wrap their arms around them 
and that God, your Holy Spirit, would go before providing opportunities and people in their lives. Providing that way, Lord, that that they would not feel like they're on an island. God, it's a big step to say, yes, it's me. Here I am, Lord, I present myself. I'm yours. No longer will my body be used, myself be used by the enemy. But I'm surrendering it to you this morning, God. You've seen that courage in this room this morning, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, you would give wisdom and discernment. And, Lord, you would show your love and encouragement, Lord, even through your people. That, Lord, some way, somehow, you would become real, finally, to the people who have surrendered to you and to your way of life. And have accepted that, Lord, you provide a way through Jesus to live this life out, walking and serving you, walking in your ways. Father, I thank you for each person who's gathered here with us this morning. And Lord, I pray a blessing upon those that have gathered. Lord, keep us safe. Help us to have a great time of fellowship afterwards, Lord. And God, would you bless the food that we're all about to eat and celebrate uh, this journey in the Myers life. That the food would nourish our bodies, Lord. But not because we want to just have nourishment. But God, that it would give us energy and would provide for our nourishment, Lord. That we would be able to praise you all the more. Father, we thank you and we lift you. We lift those up this morning that have responded in Jesus' name this morning and for his sake. Amen and amen.